Hi, and welcome to the audio version of Emily Stimson Chapman's monthly newsletter, Through a Glass Darkly. This month's essay is entitled, A Surrendered Lent, or How to Pick Penances That Bear Fruit While the World Burns. I used to love Lent. 20 years ago, when I was newly returned to the church, and for many years afterwards, I would spend weeks contemplating what acts of penance I would perform and what devotions I would practice. It felt like a spiritual new year, a chance to clean house for my soul, double down on discipline, and start anew. And maybe it was that for a while. Maybe there were lengths where I successfully ran the spiritual marathon and dashed across the Easter finish line feeling all fresh, shiny, and strong. There likely were. God probably indulged me for a little while, letting me have lengths where I thought I was doing a super amazing job at offering up all the things. It's hard to remember those lengths now, though. I remember the feeling of loving Lent, but not the details of succeeding at it. Those have all been crowded out by Lent after Lent after Lent that has gone the exact opposite of how I planned. This will be my 22nd Lent since I returned to the church, and looking back on them, what I mostly see is me having a plan, then God taking over and permitting some cross or trial or challenge in my life that subsumed my Lent, that in truth became my Lent as I struggled to accept it and offer it back up to Him. I'm not complaining though, not really. It's always been for the best. God always knows better what I need to grow closer to Him than I do. He also knows how good it is for me to make a plan, then see it turned upside down, or to fail at it entirely. It reminds me that on my own, I can do nothing. All is grace. All is Jesus. These days, as I think about my plans for Lent, I admit I feel a bit nervous. I can't help but wonder what he has in store for me this year. What new challenge will rear its head in the coming weeks and upend my prayerfully made plan? Loss? Sickness? Nuclear holocaust? I am ruling out nothing at this point. Whatever it is, though, I expect my Lent will end up being defined not by the penance or practice I choose, but rather by simply surviving what life or Putin throws at me. Nevertheless, I still have a plan. Not a plan like I would have had in the days of old, but a simple and flexible one formed according to the principles I've hammered out for Lenten practices over the last two decades. I'm sharing them this month here with the hopes that as you pray through these last strange days of ordinary time, they might help you plan your Lent, grow through Lent, and hold the whole of Lent not so much loosely, but rather with the attitude of surrender, saying to Jesus, here's what I think best, but thy will, not mine. As always, take what is useful, leave the rest. Principle number one, remember Lent is not the spiritual Olympics. It's not. It's not a contest to see who is more virtuous, more disciplined, or more capable of sacrificing all the things. It's not an opportunity to set a personal record in holiness and outdo Lent's past. 
It is not an endurance test to see who has what it takes to make it into the kingdom of God. Instead, Lent is about growing closer to Jesus. It's about reflecting on what is holding us back from him and letting go of those things, or more realistically, one of those things. It's about growing an understanding of what Jesus did for us on Calvary and why he needed to do that in the first place. It's about feeling sorrow for our sins and gratitude for his mercy. Lent is about our hearts far more than it is about our actions. If the actions we're doing during Lent aren't softening our hearts and changing our hearts and making them more completely his, then something is wrong. Either we're doing the wrong actions or we're doing them with the wrong attitude. Principle number two, keep it simple. More and bigger sacrifices during Lent do not make for a better Lent. It's better to do one thing faithfully, thoughtfully, and with great love than to do a host of things half-heartedly and occasionally. In the past, the more penances and practices I've taken on for Lent, the more penances and practices I've abandoned before Easter. When I try to do too much, I end up not doing anything at all. One penance after another falls by the wayside, either because I get overwhelmed by them or because none of them really have my heart and attention. The simple Lents with simple penances and practices always end better for me than the Lents when I try to do all the things. Principle three, don't neglect prayer. Prayer is one of the three pillars of Lent. Along with fasting and almsgiving, it's what the church asks us to do during this season. During all seasons, too, but in this season in a special way. That prayer, however, isn't just another Lenten practice. It's not simply adding in a daily rosary or getting to daily Mass. Prayer is what makes a fruitful Lent possible. It should be how we discern what to do during Lent, and it's how we find the grace to keep doing it. My Biggest Lenten failures have always had one thing in common, a lack of prayer. I didn't pray at the beginning and ask God to help me see what practices or penances he wanted me to take on, and I didn't pray enough throughout Lent, asking God for the grace to endure, be faithful to my commitments, and allow me to draw closer to him through them. Instead, I tried to power through Lent on my own, relying on my wisdom, my strength, my will, not his. And that never turns out well. Principle number four, be realistic. Come Lent, it can be tempting to tackle the biggest problems in our personality or life by taking on grand sweeping penances that we think will change us for good. So we vow to give up losing our temper or procrastinating or complaining, or as I did one Lent, expressing my opinions. Yes, opinions. All opinions about the weather, about the liturgy, about clothing and food and classes, about everything. My heart was in the right place. I knew I had a bad habit of sharing my opinions too freely, often at the wrong time and more often in the wrong ways. I wanted to learn to be more thoughtful, and that was good, but it wasn't realistic. Unless one takes a vow of silence, Nobody can give up expressing opinions. It's how we converse. It's human nature. It was too much to do. 
Just like vowing to never lose our temper or never procrastinate or never complain when those habits run deep in us can be too much. It would have been better for me that Lent if I decided to give up expressing political opinions or opinions on liturgical music or if social media had existed at the time, disagreeing with people in comment boxes. I should have picked something small and doable with which to practice holding my tongue. But I went big and fell flat on my face. Like, I could barely go 40 minutes without expressing an opinion, let alone 40 days. By the time Lent ended, I felt a whole lot worse about myself and not one bit closer to Jesus. Small, targeted, doable penances, like saying a prayer for people that cut us off in traffic instead of honking our horn at them to address our anger issues, or Picking one person whom we tend to complain about and when temptation strikes, finding something for which to praise them instead will, in the end, bear far more fruit and leave us less discouraged come Easter Sunday. Principle number five, don't choose a penance that leads to sin. This one seems self-evident, but it wasn't always evident to me. Consider, for example, the Lent that I took on a graduated fast. Every week, I gave up something new. The first week, sugar. The second week, sugar and gluten. The third week, sugar, gluten, and dairy, or something like that. Whatever the order, by the end of Lent, I was eating like a vegan Mormon celiac on a diet, and I was a wench. I was so crabby and so short-tempered and so wrapped up in how miserable and hungry I was I'm surprised my roommates didn't kick me out of the house. There also were numerous years where I attempted to give up coffee or give up putting sugar in my coffee or milk in my coffee. But by the fourth time I attempted to mess with my coffee for Lent, my friends banded together and told me flat out that I was no longer permitted to take on any Lent independences that involved coffee because it wasn't fair to them. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. I really was unpleasant. And our Lenten penance should not make us unpleasant. It should be penance for us, but not anyone else. If we can give up coffee or eat only one meal a day or get to mass every day during Lent and do it with a good spirit and balance blood sugar and while still fulfilling our duties at home or work, we should do it. Those are all good things. But if we're going to be a bear to everyone around us while we carry out our Lenten penance, we're missing the point. Charity comes first. Principle six, give, don't just give up. Almsgiving is often the most neglected of Lenten practices. Most of us spend the weeks and days before Lent thinking about what things we'll sacrifice and what devotions we'll adopt. But we forget that along with penance and prayer, we're also supposed to give alms. In the face of those in need, we're supposed to see ourselves, who are always in need of Christ's grace. And through giving to those in need, we're supposed to learn both detachment from material goods and greater trust in God's provision, both of which are prerequisites for growing in holiness. Almsgiving does one more thing. It prevents our Lent from being all about us. It calls us out of ourselves and asks us to see the world with the eyes of Christ. The suffering, the pain, the hunger. It softens our hearts 
helps us to grow in compassion, and binds us in solidarity with the Christ who gave all for a suffering world. So as you plan for Lent, think about how you will give to others during this season, through checks written, masses said, or just time spent. Seven, it's just a season. We hang so very much on Lent, expecting great things to happen in our soul during those 40 or so days. We hope to kick bad habits, develop new and better habits, give deep, have deep spiritual insights, and be overwhelmed with joy when Easter finally arrives. When none of those things happen, though, when penances and practices fall by the wayside and the trials of life keep coming and we get to Easter feeling every bit as tired and weak as we did on Fat Tuesday, it's tempting to say that we had a bad Lent that we failed at it, that the whole season was pointless for us. But sometimes our failure is the best fruit of Lent. It can be a solid annual reminder that we are not the saviors of our souls. That title belongs to Jesus alone. Bad Lents are, in fact, good Lents if they help us to learn just how weak and broken we are, how we can't do anything by our own power, and how badly we need Jesus. Holiness is the work of a lifetime, not a season, and it happens in fits and starts through a constant succession of failures and victories, successes and setbacks, all experienced in the midst of new trials and crosses. These 40-odd days can be part of that. They should be part of that, but they're never the whole of it. So that's the best advice I've got for now. Pray. Ask God what he wants you to do. Sacrifice something that will lead you to lean more heavily on Jesus. Pray some more. Give generously. And don't despair if life happens and all your carefully laid plans go out the window. Because the way this Lent is starting off, they probably will. You've been listening to the audio version of Emily Stimson Chapman's newsletter, Through a Glass Darkly. This month's newsletter was made available free to all subscribers and visitors. To become a monthly subscriber and receive every issue of the newsletter, visit substack.com. Thank you.